0: Welcome to Hello Easton PA. I'm your host, Mark Nutting. I'm the owner of Jiva Fitness, an author, business consultant, a former actor, dancer, martial artist, superhero, musician, and I love to connect with others. This podcast is a way for me to share the stories of the people I meet in my adopted hometown of Easton, Pennsylvania. Hi, I'm Mark Nutting, and I'm here at Cabinet Wine Bar with owner Jason Hoy. Uh, and his lovely wife and partner, Melanie Hanchi, isn't here today. She's off running to another job. And uh, But we're here right now and, and with Jason. And Jason, hi. Good morning. G'day. How are you? Good. Thank you. So there's a lot going on for you and, and uh, a lot with Cabinet and other things. But let's talk about Cabinet as it is right now. Uh, what what can you tell people
1: about Cabinet? What can they expect? Right. Um... Uh, it's such a cliché to say expect the unexpected, but That's we've great. we've opened a a wine bar, and the word wine bar throws everyone. I think that that wine bar comes with a connotation of a, just a bar, but we, we've actually opened um, a fine dining restaurant with uh, with a phenomenal wine list. So so I think what they can expect is is not a bar, but a but a but a highfalutin restaurant, a nice kind of like fine dining experience. That comes with snacks, if you want to come in for a glass of wine. So it crosses a lot of boundaries. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. And uh, what was – what were you thinking when you, you decided you wanted to do this? Because this, you know, this is a different thing for – I mean, obviously, because it's different, you wanted to do it. But what what drove you to kind of want to open this in downtown Easton? Um,
1: that's, there's a lot of elements to that question. Like, what were you thinking is the probably yeah. hardest – Hard to answer yeah. um why downtown eastern? I-, I think um that the, the what were you thinking part evolves um over time uh and, and it's been slowly formed over uh almost 30 years mm. so w- what i was thinking was i want to open a wine bar but i was 20. so this is a
0: long time in the making
1: absolutely i was sitting sitting very early in the morning after a shift finishing at 5 a.m in the nightclub that i worked in after i worked in the wine stores that, that i worked in um, with my friends at like 7 a.m. In a, in a rowdy part of, of Brisbane's um, uh, night scene called Fortitude Valley and said to my friend, I want to open a wine bar. And they said, oh, yeah, that's nice. Um, but <laughs> that's, kinda, that's nice. And then fixed my my gaze on that, but it's taken almost 30 years to get to the point where I could say I can open a wine bar. Yeah. So so we're there. So um, why downtown Easton? There's, there's a long and winding road to get to Easton. Um, uh, Wide downtown Easton, I think we're in a small city, large town that um, so we'll, we'll see more benefits from being here than maybe on the periphery or out in the, the, the fields somewhere. Um, so yeah, I think that, that that's the reason we're in downtown Easton. It has promise.
0: Well, it, it, I mean, it's certainly become a very foodie town. You know, you know, there are a lot of restaurants now, uh, and. This seems like something different, you know, and I mean, it is something different, but, you know, so to have the diversity, you know, of offerings is, is great. Uh, now, this is not your first venture. Well, none of it is I was going to go off and, on a tangent. I won't do that. Sure, that's all right. So let's So let's stick with this. I mean, you know, besides the the fine dining and, and the good wine and the great wine. Yeah. Uh, yeah I mean, I would say good, great wine. No, that's all right. The, um, you also have special events here. You don't, isn't it like once a month you have a
1: like um, a? We're, we're gonna be doing a bunch of things as we grow into the space, but um, we, we started straight away with a, a monthly wine dinner. Yeah. Um, so rather than, than like a, a wine pairing exercise, it's more of a, a global jet setting exercise. So we've, we've picked countries for each month or, or a theme. So uh, first was, was Australian wines, the next was German wines, and the third was Austrian wines. Um, we just came out of our South of France dinner at the end of last month, and this month we're doing a Mexican themed wine dinner. Um, pretty sure that no one uh, that comes along has tried Mexican wine. So, yeah, we that's, just yeah, it's yeah. not one of the ones I'm very aware of. Right. Yeah. So we're just we're, that's one thing we're doing, which has um, become a phenomenal success. Uh, success, I should say. They and excess. We we open up great wines rather than just here are some wines. Um, you know, and here's some food. Pay us. It's about developing a really fantastic menu that speaks to the country or the style or the region of what we're presenting. And then we're opening up bottles that people wouldn't normally buy themselves. So, Grand Cru German Rieslings, or you know, sort of really super premium Austrian Grüner Veltliners, or um, one of Australia's best red wines. Um, at the at Australian dinner, we make sure that people walk away going, "Wow, um, I didn't realize," or "Boy, I've mm-hmm. never had the opportunity," or. Yeah, I do love those wines, I should buy some. So yeah, we're really kind of trying to expose people um, to more than just a wine dinner. So you know, as, as
0: much as you know, business in general these days we all understand that it's, it's an experience economy. It's really about the experience. And a lot of people talk the game, uh, but, it, but it really sounds like, I mean, this is at the heart of what you're doing is, is an experience. Not just a regular dinner kind of thing.
1: Absolutely, yeah, 100. It's a it's a dozen wines. So rather than a full glass of of something white with a course, and then a full glass of something else, we're giving people three to four wines with each course at a five course dinner, um, where they where they we talk them through those wines. We tell them about the producers, the the, the grape variety, where it's from, the terroir, or the the um, the you know, sort of like that microclimate geography aspect of where those vines are grown and how they're grown, we really deep dive into it. So people come away with a deeper understanding of something they had little understanding of, perhaps, uh, when they arrived.
0: Now, now, this is from a practical sense. People experience this. and They go, ooh, these are great wines. Yep. And then can they ever get them again?
1: Yeah. So um, <sighs> the, the beauty of um, Pennsylvania is that we now have a thing called a wine expanded permit. So we can sell wines retail. So they can sit down, try the wines, and then we can sell those wines to them. We've got an order form on the back of the menu uh, for that very, very oh, wow. reason. So I, I come from a long history of retail, and yeah. one of the one of the chunks of my life was was running an incredible wine store, one of the best wine stores in Australia, where we would we would do um, at least two wine dinners a month in some of the best restaurants in Sydney. Um, and they would be for a producer or a region or a style or a container of wine we had coming inside. I spent a decade hosting wine dinners and having to tell people about those wines, not just welcome, have a nice time, but you're here to look at these wines from mm-hmm. so-and-so house in Burgundy or this Italian producer or this region in Australia. So it's something I've been doing for a long time, educating uh, and, and helping people enjoy over a meal. Great. Um, so...
0: This is not your first venture in Easton, though. No. So you first, well, I'm assuming, you first opened Tucker.
1: Correct, mm-hmm. yeah. So Tucker was our, let's uh, want of a better expression, Aussie cafe. So um, Aussie cafe just comes with uh, a few caveats, which is um, we're, we're coffee snobs. So we, we uh, didn't have any drip coffee. We just had espresso-based coffee. Um, uh, the, the other caveat is we're coffee snobs. So we're like really meticulous about the coffee that we make and how it tastes. Yeah. And then secondly, it's about was about a healthier style of eating rather than than a, a normal cafe concept, which as a obviously a non-American with this accent. I um I experience a lot of American cafes as here's some muffins wrapped in some in some uh, plastic wrap, and here's some banana bread, and here's uh a lemon bar, and here's another cake. And then they're all kind of like wrapped up, ready to go. Yeah. And there might be a breakfast sandwich, um, or if it's a bigger place, there might be bacon and eggs and home fries. Uh, but, but that's kind of the concept of a cafe, whereas a cafe for us is healthy salads, avocado toasts, uh, muesli and granola bowls. Um, we wanted to have somewhere someone could have a, a really healthy lunch that was a little step up not um a fine dining restaurant but a good dining cafe where mm-hmm. they where they weren't limited by the, the same thing they weren't just duplicating a more expensive version of that that scary kind of mcdonald's breakfast that, that so many cafes can roll out so yeah an aussie cafe is almost like a restaurant style like an irish pub that comes with its own um, distinct kind of personality mm-hmm. yeah
0: and then you opened that, what, six years ago? Six years ago, six yeah,
1: years. yeah. So we're here in Easton because um, my beautiful wife, uh, Melanie, who is currently on a bus on the way to New York City to go and work at Food and Wine Magazine, where she's the deputy editor, she was um, the minister of food for a, um, a company called Rodale that were based in Emmaus, uh, which is about 35 mm-hmm. minutes due west of us here. Um, so we, we ended up in Easton because we wanted to um, not be based in New York where the other office was. And she was working more and more in, in the Emmaus location. So we went touring the Lehigh Valley looking for somewhere to live, somewhere we, that appealed yeah. to us. And I got to drive all over for six months looking for places. And, and Easton won hands down. It was just the, the, the it had such great appeal. Really yeah, wonderful yeah. town to roll into. Can't tell you how great it is to drive down Northampton Street as the, the sun is setting. Um and you've picked up your wife from her job and you're driving back to New York and you're heading down the main road and there's this beautiful sunset and there's the circle and there's just friendly people on the street willing to have a chat and tell you about their town it it, it was an instant uh, tick yeah, great yeah yeah um,
0: so you opened 6 years ago yep. then things were going along fairly smoothly and covid hits
1: covid hit everyone well it hit yeah. Every- yeah yeah <laughs> but you you made
0: a big shift uh, tell, tell me about that.
1: Yeah, sure. So I think um, that was that was kind of bittersweet. But um, we an Australian cafe comes with a concept of an Australian cafe, which is um, we were just getting really busy. We were starting to have lines out the door on a Saturday um, and a Sunday. Um, we, we were um, starting to really hum, um, and and we also we pay our staff, so we pay a living wage of fifteen dollars an hour plus tips, because um, we kind of believe. People are in hospitality because they're hospitable and they've chosen it as a career rather than a gap filler. Um, And so that that was our staff. They weren't heading off to do something else. Some of them might have, you know, gone off to do college degrees after they'd worked for us through their high school years. But the pandemic hit, and um, I, having lived in Australia, we're used to seeing, um, for one of a a better example, Japanese people walking around with masks on, um, just because it's a thing you do in a polluted city. Um, So it's not abnormal but i I watched this thing happening in in asia this this new virus suddenly pop up and chatter and and got online bought some masks for some strange reason um a a month or two before it really was like declared a thing Hmm. in the usa yeah um and they arrived and my my wife mel said what are these for and i said i think we're gonna need them (laughs) and she said i don't know what you're talking about and i said all right and then i sat my staff down uh Two weeks before the lockdown, I guess for, for it was what we all called it, the lockdown. Um, two weeks before the lockdown, because business was slowing down dramatically, it was it was grinding to a halt, and it was obvious that, that that everyone was a little nervous and didn't know what the hell was happening. So I told my staff that we were closing, that we were going to close, and we were going to reopen a week later as a grocery store. So we we cleared all our tables. That's quite out. a shift. Huge shift. But I kind of the only thing I would think was, well, okay, I'm, people are running out of toilet paper. Yeah. Um, so so people are going to need toilet paper. What else are they going to need? And do they want to go to a large supermarket? Will they be allowed to go to a large supermarket? So we looked at all the stuff that we were cooking and realized that people would still need it. So we decided rather than, than cook it, we could sell it. So yeah. we, we very quickly, in the space of a week, one staff member, uh, I asked everyone if they'd stay for a week and volunteer. I couldn't afford to pay them. Sure. Um, and one staff member said she would help. Um, and and for a week we we built trestle tables and figured out what we were doing and and uh, and then the next week we opened and it was the two of us uh, and she made three thousand dollars in tips in one week.
0: Wow, yeah, yeah, it was crazy. So people uh, appreciating? You know, yeah, what you were th- doing. there was
1: an instant like, what are we going to do? And we had a, a really great uh, lit mail list that we could say, here's what we're going to do. We had a really strong social media following where we could communicate, here's what we're doing. And, and people didn't know how contagious it was or what was going on, so they were much more comfortable coming up to a window that we rolled open rather than into a space um, to pick up a bag of groceries. We, we would have to drop in at nighttime and change the receipt printer rolls over because they were running out because there were that many orders coming through. Right, um, yeah. So So on a Friday night, we would be there sort of like to change those register rolls just because there was hundreds of orders. And then we'd be in there at sort of five in the morning, sorting through all of that, and 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 packing groceries. And we'd have we had ten people packing groceries on a Saturday, um, but it wasn't the perfect business situation. It was kind of done. It was done f- for the right reason, which is yeah. get involved, keep our cash flow going. But it wasn't done for profit. We weren't really making any money. We sure. were we were just yeah. drinking from a fire hose of revenue, but but we. Um, we worked really hard, it was exhausting. It was it was 14 to 16 hour days for many months.
0: So as you did this, the um, at what point did you say, you didn't, well, let me clarify, because I'm not really sure. Yeah. You did not open Tucker as it used to be ever again.
1: We, we did, actually. Did you? Yeah, oh, okay, so, so that's where there I was. There was this strange point in everyone's head, I think, where they said, oh, it's over. We can go and eat out, we'll start by eating outdoors. Um, and so, yeah, it did. But we still we are a little more nervous than um, than other people. I think we were. More, yeah, I think we were more nervous and cautious about COVID than some others um, in in town. So we didn't open up the cafe inside. Um, and then we started doing private dinners inside the cafe and trying to really start the cafe on the outside through the summer months. As it got colder, it got tougher. But we would have dinners for. Uh, 15 to 20 people everyone got their temperature taken and yeah. had, to, had yeah. to let us know that they were healthy before they sat down and we took every precaution we could we bought strange fog machines to clear the clean the place and sanitize yeah. it every yeah. night it got really weird but um it the pandemic changed everything it shut the business down once it was kind of like coming to an end because the entire location we were in had changed so Hmm. Suddenly everyone was working from home and we were in an apartment complex with 300 apartments and everyone was working from home, which means that every single car space was taken. And so we were a destination. So no one had anywhere to park. No one had any, any way to get to us. There were maybe like 10 spaces in a in a complex that had you know 10 to 20 retailers right which doesn't the math doesn't work out so we never ever um managed to to regain that cafe status we sort of watched it diminish our revenue dropped by 80 percent yeah but our bills didn't and our, our you know our wages stayed the same and and uh that got strange as well so that's the point where we decided this is not really working yeah um do we stay here or not so we we stepped out uh, the christmas before last so about about a year and a half ago sort of thing um with already with a lease signed for this space for a wine bar yeah and that's now that's evolved into tucker as well and a whole lot more so yeah so we're growing into this space
0: okay so let's get back to uh we've talked about tucker we've talked about cabinet Yeah. Uh, what's
1: what's the next phase for cabinet slash talker? Sure. So the next phase, um and it's like everything else we've come across. I think the the expression we keep hearing is supply chain issues or you know things like that. Sure. But so we, we um we are in uh, an old dive bar, which was called Eastern Cafe, which was here since the 1930s. Um, and had closed down in the pandemic for multiple breaches of liquor licenses and all sorts of different things. But it had been here since the 1930s, um, and I don't know if they painted the roof since the 1930s. The hmm. nicotine still bleeds through the paint. There's about six layers of paint on the yeah, roof. Yeah. but um, it's part of a much larger building, which um, uh, was it was at one point it was an old bus depot. Um, another point it was a taxi um, place that taxis lived another point it was a rental car place that, that had a little office at the front so it's a huge building that stretches from one block to the next from from Northampton to church yeah and uh, that that garage behind us is kind of like the, the extra uh, I don't know, seven eighths of the footprint of this big building so we've got this Monster Garage, and then we have an old parking lot that, that looked a lot like Beirut when we arrived. It yeah, was yeah. very beaten up with a rickety fence, and that's been reconcreted. So so the next phase is opening up uh, Tucker Garage and Grocery. So a bit of both. I think what we learned in the pandemic was that multiple revenue streams mean survival. So for the sure. next thing, yeah. the next bump in the road, the next pandemic, or who the hell knows what's going to come next. But right. what we did learn was that it was good to be able to um, have different revenue streams coming from different sure. directions. Yeah. So we'll we'll be leaning into the the grocery element um, that we had at at Taco in the pandemic. We'll we'll lean back into that great Aussie cafe, great coffee, um, avocado toast, those kind of things. So the things that people are used to and keep saying, you really miss your scones," or "When are you reopening?" We'll bring that back. Yeah. But then that large. Area outside that, that faces the river is a is a huge like four thousand square foot patio. So we'll have pergolas and, and, and it'll be almost like a uh, the word in Austria is Hürigen and the word in German is Busschenschenk, which kind of means like a wine garden slash oh, yeah. beer garden. So yeah. rather than just like here's a beer garden, drink beer, it'll be here's carafes of, of wine, here's uh, cocktails, a little more elevated. Um, but also very relaxed. Have uh, half of a rotisserie chicken or, you know, some, some vice versa or some good brat in a, in a roll with some onions and mustard and whatever else. So it will lean into that very convivial outdoor summer kind of um, uh, German thing. So cabinet kind of stretches either side of the garage, outside and in. And tucker will be the garage itself um, yeah. where you'll be able to have private events or, or uh, come and get your groceries on a Monday, Tuesday to buy fresh produce. Very hard to find. In Eastern uh, early in the week. There's, sure. there's nowhere. Yeah. Um, so so yeah, we want to make sure that people can do that, and it also that multiple revenue stream thing really comes down to it keeps our produce really fresh. When we're running two kitchens for a, for a cafe and for a fine dining restaurant, then we can represent uh, we can sell the same potatoes we're cooking with, which means high quality produce. But we can we can make sure that um, that people are buying it as well as us cooking it, which keeps it rolling through really quickly. Um, which means that we're not sort of sitting on anything that's always super fresh. Whereas a supermarket might toss out those, you know, sort of like that crate of onions because they're a the bit along in the tooth. We tended to find that we could roll through produce really easily ourselves. If it was, it was like we need to use that, then we could just cook something and we use it. Right. Um, yeah. So it's a really clever way to reduce waste to zero. And I think that's really important too.
0: Super. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, let's let's cut to the personal. Jason Hoy. Tell me about yourself. No, let's let's sure. go. You're from Australia, um, yeah. so they say. Yep, sort of. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, So uh, you know, you you've said you've been in the wine business thirty plus years yep. or, or something.
1: Yeah. What did you? How did you get into that? Sure. I um, for I moved all over Australia. I grew up in. Tasmania, which is the bottom state of Australia, very much like the Vermont of Australia, but but like uh, an island. Yeah. Um, and then migrated to the mainland, as we say, which was a place called Victoria, the bottom state of the, of the large island, which is Australia, um, into the country, into the city, and then uh, migrated north to tropical Queensland, to a place called Brisbane. But by that point, I'd been to a lot of different schools. I'd, I was finishing high school, um, and I was doing work experience, and I thought, I want to be a chef. Um so I went and did work experience at a, a vegetarian restaurant called Squirrels. In Squirrels? Squirrels. Is it <laughs> like the animal that doesn't exist in Australia? <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> but um uh, it was it was like this long-established vegetarian restaurant. When well before like the whole vegan vegetarian thing was really big, had multiple cookbooks, had a lovely old lady that that owned it, and it was being run by um, her son-in-law and daughter. And her son-in-law was was from Belgium. So he kind of was French, but not. And he'd run large hotels and restaurants and he had all this, a wealth of experience. So I learned two things. Number one, I learned that chefs are crazy. Um, <laughs> in a vegetarian restaurant, they had this German guy, maybe Austrian guy that would w- wave knives around. I'm like, this is okay, terrifying. And then I realized that the hours sucked and it was long days and, and yeah. I just looked at them and thought, okay, I'm out, I don't wanna be a chef. Um, but I also realized that I enjoyed engaging with people and looking after them, and so I had a job straight away. I got, I got a job. I got the most ridiculous reference letter from Pierre, um, which I could never ever use for any other job in the future because it was so over the top. It was, it was almost like, okay, there's spelling mistakes because he couldn't spell English words as well as everyone else, and also it was just so ridiculous. But, but uh, having said that, yeah, he. Um, he skipped the country with all the money and his his uh, wife. And they had left this poor lady in the lurch and uh-huh. the restaurant closed. But um, in the interim, I was working in restaurants through high school. Um, somebody tapped me in a restaurant uh, and said, hey, would you like to come and work in our wine store? It was a very large pub or hotel that, that we were working in the restaurant. And they had a huge uh, wine store attached to it. And I said, I don't drink. I did drink when I was 16 once, and I, and I didn't drink till I was 22 after that. yeah, But I was still a teenager, and she said, no, but you're polite and, and you're relatively well-spoken, so why don't you help us? So suddenly I was conducting wine tastings and learning as much as I could about something I knew nothing about and, and then sort of jumped around. I finished my degree, which is in marketing. Yeah, I worked as a copywriter for six months in an advertising agency, writing ads for Kodak Film uh, for Powers Beer, a brand of Queensland beer, um, a tire company called Kumo. It was the worst job ever. Um, yeah. I spent, spent uh, three and a half years um, in a degree. It was one of the few people to get a, a job in an advertising agency in my degree. But I, I, it was in my brain, it was this poetic thing where I could create incredible copy that would convince people to to just bow down to that product and buy it, but the reality was, I was writing the ad for one like fat beer executive in his sixties who um, really just wanted to see bikinis, you know. And and it was yep. became oh, yeah. right. it became really really uh, basic and boring. And I realized that I was going to just die of boredom if I did this job, and it wasn't what I wanted to do after all. So I went back to the wine stores that I'd been managing and running while I was at university, and thought, well, I'll have a crack at this, and, yeah. and with a determined. Attitude not to be trapped in a small suburban bottle shop with people coming in for a small bottle of vodka and a, you know, to help them with their, with their crippling addiction, but rather um, something a little more fancy where people were choosing a bottle of wine for dinner, where it was more about drink better, drink less. Right. Um, and, and it worked. Somehow I, somehow I managed to, to do it. Yeah. So that was Australia. I ran overseas for a few years. Um I lived in Ireland for three years and worked for a chain of wine stores. How did that happen? How do you how do you go from Australia to Ireland? Um, because I loved uh, Celtic mythology. Oh,
0: okay. Yeah. If yeah I, had I children, find it fascinating too. Yeah. So, yeah. If
1: children – if I'd ever had children, they would have been called Ushin or uh, yeah. Um Hence, I don't have any children because no woman ever wanted to call their children that. Um, but But, yeah, I was – deeply into the romance of Celtic mythology it was a little mm. bit like a cross between Japanese and 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 uh, Greek it was it yeah. was yeah it was just there was something about it so I knew all about it but I, I went to the UK like all Australians do it was like a bit of a tour of duty I was there for three months uh, traveling all over having a look to places where my family originally had come from um, but really didn't want to stay there so I uh, also wanted to go to Ireland so we head there and and uh, Three years of just having a great time getting paid really well right at the end of the millennia yeah. when it was, a, it was the celtic tiger there was all this money being thrown about in, in ireland lots of grants it was joining the eu and it was booming so it was a really wonderful time to be there um, and then came back to australia with this newfound knowledge of, of burgundy and and european wines. Yeah. we didn't have that much access to um, followed a girlfriend to to sydney to the biggest city in australia because that was where she was getting a job as a forensic scientist we got married um, I spent my time looking for the best wine store I could find in town. just kept asking people, where's the best wine store in town? And kept getting the same answer. Um, two or three places, but one kept popping up, and, and I had a look at it and was just stunned by what it was. And it was at the time, it was like the best wine store in, a co- in the country. Yeah, yeah. So I just dropped my resume off every two weeks, um, <laughs> and they'd tell me to go away, and I would I'd drop it back in uh, two weeks later and say, well, when there's a place, you know, you should give me a job. Um, and them, It took three months, and uh, and then someone left, and they left to a really um, high-powered sort of sales manager for an, a national brand that that was um, penetrating the American market and very successful called called Torbreck, and I stepped in, and and uh, by three months later I was running the show um, yeah. because I realised that I knew what I was doing, and that I was good at selling wine, and uh, and the guy that ran the business and owned the business he was he was something else he. I've never met someone with such wine knowledge, actually. Mm. But he was, uh, apart from being lovely, he was an any social professor, like a scatty professor that, that didn't really like talking to people. Yeah, um, yeah. So it was lovely that he could push me out the front to talk to all sure, the people while the he face. could control the stock coming in and teach us about that. So, yeah, I had this incredible decade where I was exposed to the greatest wines in the world, where I traveled every year to, to France and then drove around France, Italy, Spain. Germany, to wineries that we were importing wines from, um, to wineries that our importers invited us to go and visit because we were such good customers. We are the biggest buyer of of imported wine in Australia uh, at one point. So I had access to every restaurant and access to every winery and access to incredible dinners, things that that I didn't have any money uh, to do. In fact, I left my first wife after two years in Sydney. She hated Sydney and hated Sydney, um, and it didn't work. So I ended up loving Sydney in this incredible job, yeah. uh, with a with a horrible debt that comes with divorce as a young person with no lawyers and no idea what they're doing. So right, I sure. so I was eating rice when I went home, but I was drinking Grand Cru Burgundy when I went to work. It was there was a weird juxtaposition, um, but it it was still a fun decade. I wouldn't have done yeah. it the other way. Yeah, yeah. So and then and then uh, from Sydney to the USA, and yeah. and how
0: that happened was it following a job, following a you know.
1: Yeah. I watched the decline of this incredible wine store and, and, and much like buying a mask for COVID, I sort of said, said to Melanie, my my then partner, my now wife, um, that um, that I was going to step out. And and I was poached by by one of the wholesalers that I was the number one customer for, um, that, that specialised in German, Austrian wines, had an incredible portfolio of wines and I became a wholesaler. Um, hated that just as much as I hated copywriting. I, mm. I had access to every restaurant because I had this incredible selection of wines, but... Um, I didn't really have the same personality as the owner and he was based in another state and he got very nervous. I made him nervous. I had a different way of selling and a different way of communicating to people. Sure. Um, Rather than putting a cheese platter on and a a large wine tasting that I would hold, I would put on uh, something like fairy bread, which is, you know, sort of white bread with sprinkles. Uh, That's a very Australian party dish, but figured it was more fun and it sort of spoke to um, a little more irreverence and and enjoying wine rather than, than uh, that old stuffy kind of approach. But um, it didn't work. I had a great time selling wine, but it wasn't the right personality fit. Stepped out um, and then worked for a local wine producer, lovely wines, but all that access to all those restaurants disappeared overnight. And Mm -hmm. I struggled. Um, Whereas Mel is incredible what she does. She's a magazine editor who uh, was was running an empire called Donna Hay magazine for the woman called Donna Hay, almost like the Martha Stewart of Australia. Oh, yeah. Without yeah. Snoop Dogg, um, she's still cool. But but uh, Mel's career was had peaked. She couldn't go anywhere. We're in a country with the same population as New York State. That's the same oh, yeah, same right. size as the USA. So so it's kind of like we'd both hit this wall, and she was ready to to go a lot further and faster so we decided to pack her up and we put an affirmation on the fridge saying mel has the the job in the magazine in new york that that uh you know she's uh, always wanted and jason has the the wine bar of his dreams in brooklyn
0: great so uh
1: we we, for two years we bashed away at that we'd pack her up she'd get an interview with every editor-in-chief of every great food magazine just based on who she was and what she was already doing um, and then finally, she was, I guess, given a job, handed a job by by Rodale as the minister of food, they used to say. or, um, But she was the director of all food content for all the magazines and kitchens, and which came with some really strange kind of like uh, Pennsylvania concepts, like you can write the menu for the cafeteria for our campus in Emmaus as well, which <laughs> didn't really like light her fire. Uh, yeah, I can see where that might not. Yeah, it, it was a bit like, oh, they didn't really know what to do with her, but they knew that they wanted her there because of what she could do and the, the changes she yeah. could make for food and how it was presented in their magazines. Um, and I followed, because I can, I'm a wine guy, I can go wherever I like. So I twiddled my thumbs in Brooklyn for a couple of years. I worked in wine stores around Manhattan, but it was very much $15 an hour, 20 bucks an hour, which is not always very good for a lot of people in the USA, But but for the experience I had, It was a little bit debilitating, um, having come from some really great roles in in my own country, but the aim was still to open a wine bar, and we learned very quickly that opening a wine bar in Brooklyn is not as easy as it sounds. Uh, It's easy to get a license, might cost you 500 bucks, a thousand dollars, But you have to find a place to open the wine bar. And the rent in Brooklyn or New York is going to be $20,000 a month. Right. So just to set a place up takes at least six to nine months. So you already need $120,000, $200,000 before you've even opened the doors. And that was what we didn't have. Sure. Um, So we we decided to come out to, to Easton. Um, Easton chose us. I mean, we sort of had a Bridge. look at all the other towns and Easton just put its hand up and said, you should live here. It was close to New York for, for Melanie. It was close to Emmaus. We um, had a really lovely sense of community. Just, it just spoke to us. So here we are. Um, suddenly, Rodale was sold to a company called Hearst, that now based in Easton. Um, and part of that meant that she was marched from the, the, uh, the campus, so to speak, from the, the head offices of, of Rodale on the day it was sold because she was on a visa. So we work here on a visa, which means that we're sponsored by the company and that company was no longer sponsoring her. So they kind of marched her out the front door, but at the same time, um, racked with guilt. So they they handed her like the remaining three months pay that she was due and they handed her bonuses and some holiday pay and they just kind of threw this lovely like, goodbye golden handshake, her way, yeah. which gave us that opportunity to spend it all very quickly opening a cafe. Yeah, Um yeah. The, the best way to open a business is just spend your life savings that you suddenly <laughs> have not had. Um, and
0: There we well, are. All, I don't know about every risk with that, but but certainly that's yeah, that's you know if you're going to do it, sometimes that's the only way to do right. it. Right.
1: So we got we got lucky. So we opened a cafe, and that was really because we missed good coffee and, and uh, a healthy mm. breakfast. Yeah. So we had a lot of fun doing it, and and the aim was yeah we're going to open a wine bar here, and then we learned that there's difficulties in PA, and a license is the difficulty here. It's going to cost you well now about three hundred thousand dollars. When we moved here six seven years ago, it was about seventy 000, eighty thousand um, dollars but very hard to find and still very hard to find. So yeah. so, so here we are, we were at Tucker, some random guys from New York walked in, uh, in the pandemic and, and said to us, we love your cafe, we, we love the aesthetic and we love what you do. Um, we've, we're buying a building in downtown Eastern and it has a license. Would you be interested in opening a wine bar? Um, and you said, let me think. I felt like I was being trolled by some person that might've just, you know, wanted to, to I, I didn't know what the hell was going on i thought what is going on why would and i said uh y- yes i said you know i've been in wine for you know 25 years or more and they said oh no and i said you know my wife is the, the deputy editor of food and wine magazine they said no and i said we'd be very interested and it took another you know year to to get leases signed uh, and here we are we've been chipping away for 12 months the anniversary of the lease is i think this week Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. So, well, I know that we, we'd
0: talked previously, and, and you know, as far as pulling us together again in the pandemic and post pandemic, yeah. the, the supplies right. were just impossible to get. So, yeah, absolutely. So,
1: so, yeah, it, it took us, so it should be maybe four months, five months to build out the restaurant. Um, and then it took, it's, we've been open for almost six months. But, yeah. um, but it's the same. We, we took a lot of what we had from Tucker. And employed it here, so all the skirting boards uh, and all the chair rails in the bathrooms and all the door frames—they're all made from tables we cut up that we had a <laughs> really? tuck that we built with our own hands. That's great. So, so we we didn't cut costs; we just got really creative. Yeah. Um, so yeah, all the we made all the bonnets ourselves. We I put all the floor down myself. There's there's nothing in this space that, that with the help of one really friendly guy called Peter, who had better woodworking skills than me. Um, that we didn't make ourselves apart from the lights, which come from uh, Lidditz from a place called Old Brick Lighting, the chairs, one of which you're sitting on, which are incredibly comfortable. They are. That we just spent a long time looking for incredibly comfortable chairs because we think it's important. And the bar top, or I kind of call it the countertop, but I had a distinct idea of what I wanted. And uh, a guy called um, Eric Schaefer from Majestic Concrete, who's based in Easton, um, said, yeah, he'd help us out. So. So that's it. There's very little that we haven't made ourselves. Otherwise, um, we've upholstered the benches, we've made the cushions, we've we've painted, we've hammered, we've nailed, we've done everything, um, uh, with the exception of you know, like things that like electrical, which we aren't qualified to do. Right. But but yeah. It but was, that
0: has to be kind of satisfying too to know that you know it is what it is because of your blood, sweat, and tears and uh, your, yeah. your your own personal labor in
1: that. There's also um, uh, at least twenty years, I'm sure of. A really great lifestyle where we got to eat in some of the world's best restaurants. Um, where we've, we've all. We, I've been a restaurant reviewer as part of my job uh, in great wine stores. Was people saying, "Would you like to review restaurants for us?" My wife was also a restaurant reviewer because of the same sort of journalism food background. Sure. So we had this great lifestyle where we got to eat in restaurants and critique them. And what do we like? What don't we like? What are the things we enjoy about it? What didn't we? You know, what did they get right? What did they get wrong? Right. Without being a food snob, it means that we. We've had 20 years to figure out what we like and what yeah. we don't like, yeah. um, what things bug us, you know, what, what things we don't like at a restaurant and what we do. And then we put our own personal touch to it. So w- we sat in a wine bar in, in uh, uh, the Upper West Side um, before we opened Cabinet, great wine bar uh, called Ardesia. and it's run by a, an amazing woman called Mandy Osa, a uh, sommelier and, and just just mover and a shaker. But the tables were the size of a postage stamp. They were like a foot by, you know, 18 inches max. Right. And I said to Mel, we've made a mistake. Like our tables are like three foot by three and a half foot wide. And she just said, no, 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 we haven't made a mistake. We're just building a restaurant that we want to eat in. Um and that that exactly exactly what what we put together. Something that we yeah. want to eat in yeah. after lots of experiences. Little things like bathrooms. I hate going into a restaurant where you're in this beautiful space and then you walk into some fluorescent Shooting gallery, uh, and and it's like or a hospital waiting room or something. It just feels like oh god, it's so jarring. Right. Sure. So you know, we wanted to make a really beautiful bathroom, and people come out of the bathroom and they thank us. It's, that's kind of fun, um, and and I feel really really proud because people ask me really ridiculous questions like who was your interior designer yeah right and i, I just say well uh, let me think it's local local guy <laughs> yeah, yeah so right how yeah. local standing at the table with you right now right yeah you know and who did all the work it's like you know, we did all the work and and where did you get the ideas It's like well, we've had a long time to figure it out sure um and i think that's that yeah that really is it and also i could i could go back to mel and say i want to do this and she'd say, oh, I don't know. Like, are you sure? I'd be like, Yes, yeah, I am sure. But, but as yeah, I think the aesthetic thing. Part of my career was fitting out wine stores or yep. making them look yeah. better, or taking a really bad wine store and making it look great. So, so I got paid for uh, quite a few years to go and open a wine store for somebody, where I would set it up, make it look fantastic, yep. um, train the staff, and then and then push them out on their way to see and go to the next place. So right. I had yep. this kind of. Uh, There's a little bit of background in, in fitting out a space, yep. and and I also I'm really fussy. I'm I'm used to sh- facing off shelves and making things look like they're in place in the right place. Yeah. So that that also I think hopefully comes through when people walk in the door, they they notice that aesthetic, um, and they do, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. that's all part of it. it. It's not just about the food, but it's about the food.
0: But it's also about well, it's also I mean you have a vision that's been actualized. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Which is very cool. Yeah.
1: It's very exciting. Um, excited by that excited to to tie like 20 to 30 years worth of experience into a space yeah and then be able to present that as a complete experience yeah um, and to be able to inject the passion that we have into someone's dining experience um, and that's great and it's without being again without being snobby it's kind of it's kind of fun to have people that have maybe very little experience in wine just burst out with things like you know more about wine than anyone I've ever met. It's like, yeah. Well, that's really great because I feel like an idiot. At the age of fifty, I've forgotten a lot, and there are people that are way <laughs> more driven than me. to have little pins on their lapel to say that they're a yeah, certified sommelier, or they're a, my best friend is a master of wine. You know, that that uh, they have way more knowledge, but I think what I have is just the the desire to actually shape an experience.
0: Well, you know, it's not just the knowledge too, but it is the the ability to communicate. Yes, to with yeah. you know, so maybe you you know, even just the the, the way you communicate about the wines yep. that you have
1: with others. Very, very much so. As someone who was in retail for a long time, I didn't have the the opportunity to say, would you like to have a taste? Mm-hmm. Or or I, right, had, sure. I had maybe 60 seconds to three minutes tops to talk to someone about something they didn't know anything about or they were very nervous about. They're coming to buy a special bottle of wine for someone who really liked wine. They didn't know what they were doing. Or they were coming in because they really liked wine. And I had to pick what they liked what they enjoyed, what they didn't, figure it out, and find the perfect bottle so that they would then come back again and say, that was the perfect bottle, well done, right. with no testing. It's like, some, hey, that car's great. You're going to love it. How yeah. do I know? Just trust me. It's very hard to do. And if you tell a lie, it bites you on the butt. Oh, sure. So, yeah. so yeah, that's that's an approach to selling wine that I definitely uh, picked up, which is different to uh, just a list of wines and someone with a pin on their, bag, on their lapel saying, well, I'm an expert. You should trust me. I'd right. rather say you're the expert. You just don't know it. Let me show you. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Great. So that's that's definitely an approach which we're trying to embrace and teach our staff as well. Ask get them to ask questions rather than tell people what to drink. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Great. Uh, we've covered a lot here. Uh, is there something I haven't asked or we haven't said about the business that you'd like people to know?
1: Uh, yeah. It's like we are we're approaching this business like we did at Tucker. We are approaching it differently so we're, we're still strangers in a strange land um, we arrived uh, when Obama was president um, and, it was, and it was all about hope um, yeah. and, and we, we have opened a restaurant that's a little bit of a combination of like where we live now and where we came from so we, we pay our staff $20 an hour we, we, um, we pull tips between front and back of house which is one good thing about Pennsylvania is we can do that uh, whereas in New York, they can't, which is a problem. But we, we've we've begrudgingly learned to embrace tips, but we've told people that they're going to tip 20%, and it's built into, and if they can always refuse if they want to, but we kind of have had to adopt the system that we um, have moved to, um, that we live with. Yeah. Um, but we also believe that our staff are, are here for a career rather than just for a gap filler. Sure. And, and so it's it's great. We have... Chefs that are working forty hours a week rather than seventy hours a week. Yeah, we don't yeah. want them to. If we get them to work fifty hours a week and there's four of them, then we'd rather hire a new person, have them all working forty hours a week again, which they're trying to get their head around. But it's about building a family where they can afford to pay their rent, where they enjoy working and they're not burnt out. Um, and that's going okay. The only person that'll be burnt out is me, as I try and <laughs> as I try and juggle a massive <laughs> wages bill sure. and, and get this place really like humming. So that we can yeah. afford those things so yeah right now we're we're kind of just like treading water a little bit we've got our, our opening costs that we had but sure, but yeah. we um are definitely trying to do this differently and change the conversation about wages about food about um where the food comes from about the quality of staff all all those things that we want to lift And and we've seen a change in town already we've seen multiple restaurants suddenly launching wine dinners yeah, um, which is great, and I'm not going to say it's because of us, but I'm going to say there were no wine dinners in the area uh, prior to three months ago. Yeah, right. And, and now there are uh, there are dinners all over town, and that's really good. It means that people are paying attention, yeah, and that they're going to try and emulate. Uh, and and that's fantastic. If if we can get um every wine list in town to improve just a little bit, mm-hmm. um, then then that means that there's a better experience in every restaurant in town. If, sure. If, yeah, if, if people you know, have to have to lift their game, that means everyone's game's lifted. So yeah, so that's great, because we have, you said, like Easton is a food destination. Um, I'm a bit column A, a bit column B about that. I still think that there's lots of destinations here to eat at, whether they're destinations that I would seek out, some yes, some no. I think that, that um, it's well established, but I think some of those places have been around for quite some time and, and maybe resting on their laurels. Yeah. Um, and recently we've had some really big restaurants that have been in Easton for you know over a decade uh, closed down that, that had just sure. come to the end of their life cycle. So I think that um, Easton's been having a wonderful renaissance for the last six, seven, eight years, um, well before we arrived. I think that the mayor's done a wonderful job, that it's a really great town to walk into with ambassadors just saying, hi, good to see you, have a great right. day. Yeah, um, the, the, the collective consciousness of Easton is really positive. So... But I also think that it's got a bit to go. Um, and I, I think we have an opportunity to make it that destination. And if, if uh, again, like if everyone's looking over their shoulder at the restaurant right. down the road. Everybody ups their game. Everyone ups their game. Then we all win. So I can't wait to to see Easton win. And if we're a part of that, then great. It, it helps with our success as well.
0: Yeah. yeah. Super. Well, I think that about covers it for now. Cool. And uh, just once again, I'm with Jason Hoy at Cabinet Wine Bar. And Tucker Garage and Grocery soon to come. Soon. And I'm Mark Nutting. Thank you so much, Jason. Been
1: a pleasure. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to Hello Easton, PA. This is Mark Nutting. Hoping that you'll stop by again to find out more about your fellow Estonians. Have a great day.